Because when I left, you know, so many of the anchors were just like, I can't believe you're leaving the number one morning show in the world on cable. Like, why are you doing that? It makes no sense. And I said, well, I don't want to get up at four in the morning anymore. Me talking about what Donald Trump is tweeting is not helping anybody. We stand today. The Business Method with a shout out. The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring successful entrepreneurs and high-profile people dissecting their business models. We dissect the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that have built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that produce over a million dollars and annual revenue and now we're interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business and influence income results economies and cultures there's a growing number of people building these caliber of businesses like this and we're going to figure out what it takes to make this happen now let's jump in today's show the business method would you quit a high-paying job at the number one cable news show in the world It would be a difficult decision to make, especially if you were quitting to go out on your own and invest in real estate and build your own business. Clayton Morris is our guest today and is a former news anchor for Fox. He wanted to work in media since he was a child, and after having a successful career, he decided to leave Fox to become a full-time entrepreneur. Many people told him he was foolish to leave the network and security of a great job, but Clayton was ready for the move because he had been investing in real estate and creating passive income for years before he made the leap. Since leaving Fox, Clayton has built a top-rated podcast with over 10 million downloads, a successful YouTube channel with over 6.5 million views, and has created the Financial Freedom Academy where he teaches others to invest and find financial freedom themselves. I actually really enjoyed this interview with Clayton to get behind his mind and his thoughts about where he has been and where he was going. It's another great influencer chat, you guys. And without further ado, let's welcome Clayton to the show. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Listeners, welcome back to the podcast. We're excited to introduce today's guest, Mr. Clayton Morris, calling in from, are you in Jersey right now, New Jersey right now, Clayton? Yeah, New Jersey, good old Jersey. (laughs) But uh, maybe soon to leave there. We'll talk about that later in the show. But I want to start off, uh, Clayton, the podcast, because I know that one of your favorite books is also one of my favorite books and Noah's favorite book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I read that in 2003 for the first time. And it absolutely, I was in graduate school and it absolutely changed the trajectory of my life. And my mom bought me cash flow, uh, the board game back in the day. And we played that as a family quite a bit. And uh, so I'm just kind of curious, you know, what, what has, why is it your favorite book? What has it done for you? Well, it's funny. I mean, I never, I have to pinch myself now uh, that this journey that I've been on, you know, reading that book when I lived in Los Angeles as a young TV producer after college, I think it came, I forget what year it came out, but I, I remember listening to the audio book when I was in Los Angeles around 1999 or 2000, I think somewhere in that neck of the woods. And I was driving, I was, dri- I was driving around the 
the, the coast there. And I grew up a lot of, you know, with a lot of really negative and limiting beliefs around money. And, and so it was a real shift for me because I don't think I noticed it at the time and I was 21 years old or whatever, but 22 years old. So it didn't sink in. I've now, I try to read it once a year because mm-hmm. it's just a reframing. It's a reminder of the way, you know, to, to not go back, not slip back into that stinking thinking about money. You know, I'm not worthy of money. <laughs> money doesn't grow on trees. And also, you know, you kind of slip back. Some of us will slip back into buying liabilities, you know, uh, instead of performing assets. And it's very easy to do. And we, because we've been trained to think that way, we've been trained Way, the definition you know? of a liability and asset, according to so, just so we know for for the listeners, is um, an asset something that puts something in or money into your pocket, and liability something that takes it out. Correct, Clayton? Correct. And most of you know, in, in America anyway, we're trained to think that you get a job, you get a four hundred one k, and you buy a house, and, and and that's what you're taught. And so we're up against all of this advertising and millions of dollars spent on advertising. And what he teaches you in that book is that, no, this is what you were not taught in school. You were not taught this. You were not taught how to build financial intelligence. And buying a house that you live in is not an asset. I know I get in arguments with people about it. (laughs) It's not an asset. It's taking money out of your pocket, plain and simple. As Tom Wheelwright, the smartest accountant probably in the United States, likes to say, anything that takes money out of your pocket is a liability. To put money into your pocket, cash flow is a performing asset, and a house you live in does not put money in your pocket. Yeah, absolutely. That that was one of the books that really convinced me to be an entrepreneur, to seek out, um, you know, investment strategies and go down that route. Uh, Noah, what? I'm just curious, since I don't think you and I have ever talked about that book. Um, what, what was your experience after reading Rich Dad Poor Dad? Well, it, it's funny that uh, that I showed it to my mother and told them, look, look about this book, uh, read it. Because I remember when I was a kid, you know, I used to, to buy uh, like small balls and sell them at school when I was like eight. <laughs> and my mother discovered that and she said, no, you're not allowed to think about money at that young age, you know. And in that book, the, the beauty of it, it explained, let's say, how kids, you know, uh, I don't know if you remember it, how they rented their library, you know, in, in, in the basement to other kids. And, uh, and, and it shows, it teaches like, you, you are never too young to understand how, how business and how market works. Uh, and I think it's almost these days, it's almost uh, uh, an obligation for parents to, to teach their children about, uh, about that process. Yeah, and I think people, I mean, we really were never taught this in school. And Recently, I was on television talking about my new book, and we were just talking about building financial intelligence. And I got off the air, and I was talking to a former news anchor that I used to work with. And I said, you know, I think we were only really ever taught how to balance a checkbook in school. And yeah. he, said, he said, I wasn't even taught that. He said, this <laughs> needs to be taught in schools. You know, at our dinner table, we'll sit around my kids, three of my kids, and we'll We'll kind of play at dinner, like, you know, what's a performing asset? What's a liability? And I'll just throw out things like a boat, you know, and our kids will say, uh, liability, unless, and then they, <laughs> they understand it, unless you're leading a fishing guide trip and you're, you know, you're renting it out or you're having people pay you every day. And so they're starting to learn. You've got to start that when they're young. Do you have 
you know, are you playing cash flow with your kids, Clayton? Are you uh, having these conversations? You mentioned you're kind of talking to them at the dinner table, but do you have any uh, structure for this type of education that you're trying to pass down the line? I need to. We I inadvertently bought the older edition of the cash flow game. Um, yeah, you, you know, and I, I so I don't have I, I don't have the the one that would be good for 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 kids. So I need to get that. But yeah, we do we do teach them. We did read like the Ron Lieber book, um, and so how to not raise a spoiled kid. He's a New York Times author. <laughs> That's how, New York Times um, journalist and. Um, you know, in his, in his book, he talks about setting up the three different jars, you know, the give jar, the save jar and the, um, the save, yes. give and spend and really seeing that money in a glass jar, you get $3, you put $1 in each of them. And so that you realize having a really healthy understanding of money and setting up to, you know, to buy performing assets. And I'm starting to have this discussion now with my wife about college. I really, I just don't, I know it's not a popular thing, but I just don't see the return on investment at all. Unless you know you're going there, unless you know you're going there to, you know, to, to become a doctor and you can draw a direct line between the amount you'll spend and debt you'll go into and amount of money you will make after eight years of schooling or however long it takes to be a doctor. What is it? 13 years, 20 years. I don't yeah, even know. Yeah. Then it's not worth it. You want to go to art school? Great. You love art. Is it worth it? $150,000 in debt when you get out or can you learn art separately? I mean, I, you know, the return on investment is just not there. And, yeah. and cost wise, like if you go, if you just go to another location, which are, there are some great universities in Germany, in Netherlands, in Austria for one hundredth of the price that you pay in, in other countries. Yeah. Yeah, if you do decide to stay in Europe, Clayton, maybe your kids will go to college and in university in Europe where it's free. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there you go. So that's a big difference. And I mean, millennials right now in the United States, we were talking a little bit before the show about current current state of the market. I mean, millennials are just saddled with so much debt, and yeah. they're starting off their lives they can't afford anything, uh, and they have two hundred thousand dollars in school debt, and now they're going to go out into their career and make. $30,000 a year. The math doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. I, I came out of college with $60,000 in, in student loans. And that's a big burden for a young, tw young person in their twenties to take on, you know, that's a lot of money. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, again, unless you can see, okay, I go to architecture school for five years. When I get out, I will then be able to produce this much per year. And, and then in seven years, we'll have the student loan paid off, but I just don't see the, I just, you know, the, again, the math doesn't add up. And, and I think frankly, a lot of this, a lot of the classes, unless it's a specialized, you know, specialized education, you know, you're taking a lot of these general education requirements and it's just a lot of filler. You know, I had a yeah. European folk tales class in college. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I don't know how many thousands of dollars I paid for that, but it was filler. I had to take it and, yeah. you know, so I can talk about Hansel and Gretel. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. What did you learn from that, from that right. class? <laughs> I don't even remember. I think I slept through most of it. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's really interesting. So, so let's kind of shift a little bit. You know, um, the topic of this series of podcasts, Clayton, are uh, we're talking to major influencers from around the world that have uh, accumulated a considerable amount of influence and are using that in a responsible manner. Because there are a lot of um, sloppy influencers out there, and and we checked you out and and some of the things that you've been doing. You know, you you were uh, in on the number one cable news network TV show for uh, quite a while. And then you grew Now you're going to your YouTube channel to 6.5 million views. You've got a podcast with over 10 million downloads. Um, you're using a lot of live video and uh, you like to talk, talk about productivity, but also um, you're close to the heart of Noah for sure. And myself as well uh, when talking about real estate. So you've done quite a, uh, quite a few amazing things and you have uh, a, a considerable amount of influence. And so we'll be talking about that throughout the show. But but first, I think we'd just like to give you a mic for the, a couple of minutes so the listeners can learn a little bit more about who you are and how you became the investor entrepreneur that you are today. Sure. Well, thank you guys. And thanks for having me. I mean, I really, you know, I, I, I grew up sneaking downstairs watching David Letterman and Johnny Carson while my parents thought I was in bed. And uh, so I fell in love with like the medium of broadcasting from a young age. And I knew just from a young age that I wanted to work in television. I, and I, I knew that I was going to, you know, be a communicator. And so started doing home videos in my house, you know, and fake newscasts and that sort of thing. And uh, moved out to California after college and just started, uh, at, you know, at the low levels as a, as a production assistant um, at a Fox affiliate in Los Angeles, KTTV. And, uh, you know, the, the team there said, hey, if you want to make it in this business, you've got to you know, you've got to move up to, you got to move to a small market and you got to make your way. So I lived all over the country, uh, you know, in small market television, uh, moved to Montana as a political reporter for CBS news at the, the Capitol and then an NBC news anchor in West Virginia and then Virginia and then Ohio and Florida, all over the country. And you know, the whole time I'm moving around, I'm renting from people. And I guess I just, and I was going further into debt. I wasn't managing my money very well. Um, I finally, I got to Philadelphia and I was anchoring Good Day Philadelphia. And they encouraged me to move there back home to my home city. I was super excited. Number four market in the TV business, morning show. And I was there for about nine months and they said they're not going to renew my contract, which had an option clause, but they had encouraged me to buy a house and you know, mm. live there and we're going to have you here for years. And I was super excited about it. And they just wanted to take the show in a real hard news direction. And, and I, uh, I was supposed to be the fun morning guy and it just what didn't work. And, uh, so that we parted ways and I thought, Oh my God, like I was walking around the city that day after I was laid off. Oh my God. Like I'm my, per, you know, my identity is like tied to this. I kind of flash back to when I was 12 years old, watching my dad lose his job with no safety net, you know, talk about rich dad, poor dad. He really was the, the poor dad figure. We, we lived comfortably. We had a middle class, you know, it was nice. I had a great upbringing, but he had no savings. He tied his self-worth to a paycheck, very little in a retirement account, no assets, no performing assets, nothing that was putting cash flow in his pocket every month. And so that was the moment for me. I just was walking around Philadelphia thinking, that's it. I'm never going to have this happen to me again. And that was really the moment that kind of triggered my entrepreneurial journey 
you know, buying houses, educating other people on how to build financial freedom. And a lot of the stuff that we were just talking about off the top of the show, being smarter with your money and taking control. So someone else, some, someone else doesn't control it for you. How long ago was that Clayton? Jeez, that would have been 2007. I got to Philadelphia, you know, okay. at the Fox affiliate and uh, then lost my job there. You know, And then it's funny, a few months later, the network called, so Fox News Channel, the network called and said, hey, we've been watching your career for a number of years. We'd like you to come to New York. We have an opening on our morning show, Fox and Friends. We'd love you to kind of try out and talk about it. And I said, wait a minute, didn't you guys just lay me off in Philly? (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, no, no, it's a big separation between church and state. Um, You know, we don't really care what the small market affiliates do, which (laughs) was basically what they were saying. Like, wow. (laughs) Okay. So come up and the rest is history. I ended up spending 10 years anchoring that morning show. And while I was there, you know, battling out, getting out of debt, dealing with other things I had to deal with because of that. And buying real estate and starting that journey. How long did it take you to get to what, what I guess you would say rich dad, poor dad calls financial freedom? I would say, you know, it's funny because I think people have this perception of, Oh, the TV news guy, he must be making tons of, you know, tons of money. And I was making a good salary, but it's still a paycheck. So you're still working for somebody else and you're only as good as your next contract. Right. So I'd sign like a two or three year contract and I'd always get nervous towards in the back time because you don't know if they're going to renew you. And I, you know, remembered what happened in Philadelphia. So I started to, I, I had been dealing with like a foreclosure that I had in Florida. I had, you know, bad debt. So I had to be creative with what I was going to do. And so my wife, my wife and I bought two rental properties in the Midwest, which is still what I do today. That's what I what I do at my company at Morris Invest. I help other people get them now. And, you know, I bought them for like 25000 put about twenty into each one in renovations. To this day, they're still cash flowing, you know, nine $950 a month. And that was about, so about a year into me being at Fox, two years being at the network, my wife comes downstairs to me and she says, you know, we can't pay our mortgage this month. And I said, what? So yes, we had these two performing assets, but we still didn't have a handle on our expenses. Mm. And we, we just got real with it then. I had to go through my closet and sell a bunch of like electronics that I had in my closet <laughs> on Craigslist just to be able to pay our mortgage. And I said, okay, this is something has got to give here. And she said, you know, we have these two rental properties. What if we didn't have to worry about your contract time coming up and we could replace your Fox salary with rental income? And that was the eureka moment. That was the moment that changed everything for my wife and I. I mean, it really became, that's how the financial freedom number was born, the cheat sheet that I give away. And it's been downloaded a couple hundred thousand times now. It's like, I jumped up to my whiteboard. My wife said, I'm going to go back to doing laundry. I'm like, you're not going anywhere. Stay right here. (laughs) I said, this is it. This is it. And just started scrolling numbers on the board. And I'm like, we realized we just didn't have it. We, We needed to figure out what our expenses were every month. And then reverse engineer how many rental properties it would take for us to have that amount of cash flow coming in every month as a safety net so that we would never have to worry about my contract or paying our mortgage ever again. It would always be taken care of. And uh, so a few years later, our number was 12. We needed to get to 12 properties. So we needed 10 more. Uh, And then it took another few years. So I'd say about five years ago, we hit financial freedom. 
Yes, what I uh, wanted also to know uh, from you, thank you for, for sharing this, uh, but uh, like I, I've spoken to a couple of people who are into the real estate business, uh, especially teaching, let's say others, and that they, they, I, I've seen that actually that business can be also quite uh, um, beneficial for the, the, the one that teach and the, the mentee, let's say. Do you, do you so this right. actually uh, exist of two parts? Do you have also people where you learn from them, like um, mentors, they're online or offline? And um, do you like now more teaching than actually doing the actual skills? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I started with wholesaling. I, I, you know, I bought off-market properties. I didn't know it at the time. And then I started studying under a mentor of mine who's, I was really his first student. He's become one of my best friends in this world, Tom Kroll. And he taught me how to wholesale real estate which is really to me the foundation of everything that I still do. It's finding it's how to find off-market properties and either keep them for yourselves or take an assignment fee to sell it to somebody else who wants to spend the nine months renovating a big project. So for me, I, I use wholesaling as a means of acquiring properties that are not being sold by realtors that need, you know, that, that are distressed, that either need a new roof, new windows, you name it that somebody else just doesn't have the bandwidth to deal with. So on that piece, yeah, that was, and you know, I would honestly go back to rich dad, poor dad. And it's kind of amazing. I have to pinch myself now a few years ago, became friends with Robert Kiyosaki. And now, you know, he's become an, not only a, you know, a mentor, but a, a personal friend. And so his guidance about where things are headed in the economy, et cetera, has, has really been, been powerful for me. So I would say really those two have been, fundamental for me as well as Tom Wheelwright. Um, you know, he's written an amazing book called Tax-Free Wealth. He's a CPA extraordinaire. He used to work in the treasury department. He eats and breathes the tax code. And what he teaches you, you know, is if you're a real estate investor and you're doing it correctly, you should be paying no taxes. Um, so I follow his leadership. Uh, my wife and I, his, his book is just so fundamental to everything that we do. Uh, but then, I, you know, I teach. I, I One thing that Robert told me after I left Fox was we had lunch and he said, you know, you have an obligation now. And I really blame him for this. He's like, you have an obligation to <laughs> teach. He said, you have an obligation to teach other people. People don't know this. He said, how many people over at Fox right now would be terrified of leaving their high paying job? And I said, oh, all of them. Because yeah. when I left, you know, so many of the anchors were just they're like, I can't believe you're leaving the number one morning show in the world on cable. <laughs> like, why are you doing that? It makes no sense. And I said, well, I don't want to get up at four in the morning anymore. And I want to help uh, me talking about what Donald Trump is tweeting is not helping anybody. Now I can, <laughs> you know, now I can help other people through my YouTube channel. And, you know, we have a financial freedom Academy course that we sell and we have a book that we sell but I don't beat people over the head with that. You know, I, people can watch our 300 or so YouTube videos on Morris Invest YouTube channel and literally go out and do their first deal in a few weeks after they watch a certain number of videos and take action. And that means, you know, that means the world to me to answer your question. You know, I mean, I get these emails from people that say, I just want to say thank you. I got my second property. Thanks to watching your channel or podcast. And I'm not making any money off of them. I, I'm thrilled that they're changing their life, and that's what gets me out of bed in the morning.
from a real estate point of view, you, you've, you've done like a lot of real estate deals. Um, obviously, the, the ones, at least from my experience, that the one that were bad, that's where you learn the most out of it. Right. And, and, and right. we all make like mistakes that, that are not very beneficial. Well, like what, what did you learn most out of your real estate uh, mistakes? Well, that's a great, I mean, you know, like Ken, one of the great real estate investors and rich dad advisor, Ken McElroy, uh, I did a podcast episode with him recently where we talked about like things are going to go wrong. <laughs> you know, he admits like, look, mm -hmm. I've been burned by everybody you can think of uh, roofers to property managers, to contractors, to electricians. He's, you know, um, and he's like, you, you know, you just got to go through it. He had a huge, uh, hundred unit apartment complex. that was like half destroyed during, uh, what was it? Hurricane Harvey a few Ouch. years ago down in Houston, you know? And, and he's like, and he just was still smiling. He's like, you know, it's just part of this business. You want to build wealth. You want to do, you know, I believe real estate's the number one way to build wealth. And it's not, it's not like a get rich quick scheme, you know? Um, this before the show, I had emails from one of our property managers, you know, we have to evict the tenant, but also in the same email, they just did, they said, we got another tenant for this other property. And also we're going to put the grass cutting bill together for the spring. And, you know, these are things you have to take care of and nurture your portfolio. It's not like Ron Popeil, like set it and forget it. So, um, you know, there's definitely, uh, we paid, we were actually, uh, about two years ago, it was really one of the darkest hardest parts of my entrepreneurial life and personal life. We, we had partnered with on a referral basis, we had partnered with a company in our Indianapolis market that I, you know, managed like 23 of my personal properties, my family's properties, my sister, my mom, my dad, my father-in-law. And we really believed that they were top notch and didn't nickel and dime you for things. And, and then we discovered that they had lied about renovations they had done and had false leases on properties and we had a re we reported them to the government and severed our relationship with them and so that was one of the hardest professional things i've ever had to go through we ended up dealing with like some lawsuits as a result of it they they named that company and then they also named us for referring them <laughs> you know um <laughs> so i think you know i've learned a lot from that experience uh you know trust but verify even though I verified every month with them, you know, fly out, see properties being renovated. It's like, man, I could have maybe done twice as much verification. You know, I could have uh, taken that, gone that extra level step, you know, gotten extra inspections, whatever it took, you know? So now that's what we do. We, we really try to trust, but verify and take things to the next level. Clayton, um, I know you mentioned when you were a young boy, you really uh, knew that you wanted to work in media and be on television. And you've kind of, now that you're no longer working in that realm, but you, you've kind of shifted that into, um, you know, doing YouTube videos, having your own channel and having a podcast and doing a lot of live videos. So I'm curious, like, how do you feel um, going from the transition of being on one of the top the top cable news shows in the world to uh, being kind of an internet, I guess you could say a bit of an internet celebrity or internet influencer. Do you, do you enjoy, do you miss the, the news world or do you really enjoy this form of internet media? 
Yeah, I don't miss the news world at all. And frankly, even the news that I still, you know, the news that I read, I'm a technology guy. So I, you know, I, I'll, I'll read my Apple news and what's going on with uh, you know, the Galaxy Fold and all of that, you know. And so I have my, my news readers and I listen to my, uh, I listen to my tech podcasts um, and I'm friends with a lot of those guys in the tech world, you know. So I, I enjoy that stuff from the news side. And, you know, I'll look at some of the main headlines now, but I don't deep dive it like I used to. Um, and I just, I just don't miss, I, I just don't miss that because at the end of the day, I wasn't helping anybody. No one's day is made better by, you know, going into the con, you know, the, the gossip, the political yeah. gossip. And, you know, when you get involved, I think it's like this, right? I, I know Byron Katie likes to say this, uh, She's an amazing author of her book, Loving What Is, and she talks about there's three business, there's three types of business, your business, my business, and God's business. You know, be in your own business, be in your own business. And so in the news business, by virtue, is, is other people's business. Um, yeah. I, I just don't, I, I just don't like it. Now I can, with my own podcast, with my own YouTube channel. I can help people directly. I can do a live stream. I do a live stream every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern. And I'm on there for an hour and we pick a topic. And, you know, like we just did one on how to not pay taxes uh, legally, you know, how to reduce your overall taxable burden and all this. And I can then open it up to questions and answers with hundreds of people. And I could never do that on television. Um, Being on Fox, I'd have to talk about this news story that they're not just going to give me an hour to sit there and bloviate, <laughs> you know, about what I like to talk about. So, right. you know, I can have my own show, my own, and that's not to say I wouldn't consider it. I've been talking to some different producers and about doing maybe a, perhaps a real estate show that I could, where I could help people on a larger scale, like, you know, Netflix, that sort of thing. But right now I'm just, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. Like you mentioned, you're doing a lot of live video these days and, in, and a lot of YouTube as well. But what are some of the things you you have learned from working in uh, the cable news world that you are now applying on live video and, and your YouTube channel? Well, that's a great question. I think you know the the thing is you can go the, you can become too polished with YouTube and live video, and so you know, I'm used to on a show, a four hour morning show that I used to do, we had teleprompter for just going to commercial breaks, like coming up next. So, but the rest of the show was all ad lib and on bullet points that I had written down or some scraps of paper in my lap that I would reference. So that has been tremendously helpful that I didn't just do straight news where I read off of a teleprompter that I had to I had to think on my feet the entire time I was on the air. If I'm interviewing Donald Trump, you know, and he says one thing, well, I'm going to play off of what he just said. I'm not, who cares what my notes say, you know? Um, yeah. So that's been tremendously helpful, that, that schooling. But then I think you can also get a little too polished for YouTube because YouTube likes scratches and bumps and bruises and, yeah. you know, not be afraid to, uh, that's why I always loved David Letterman growing up. He was never afraid to turn the camera around when his cue card guy spilled coffee and he'd spend five minutes talking about, <laughs> you know, and so I try to apply that as well to what I do on YouTube and, you know, and having that sort of roughness a little bit too. But yeah, I mean, I'm a broadcaster by nature. And so 
flip a camera on and, and give me a topic and I'd love to di- you know dive into an interview or just be able to to talk about um, what I'm passionate about. And um, what do you think, let's say, of what's happening at this moment from from a real estate point of view and from a from a mentor for for many people? Uh, what do you think what's happening uh, in the market and how can people survive and thrive in the next crisis? I mean, we've been in the bullish market for. Uh, almost uh, ten and a half years now. Uh, what, what's what's your opinion? Right. Well, I think you know. Look in the in the housing market. You know, there's multiple markets and there's multiple different areas, and and all, ever all real estate is local. So I would say, you know, where do you invest? Where 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 are you investing that you will be able to sustain and be able to ride this out and. I think in the affordable housing space right now, what, what I do between, you know, 50 and 50,000 and $150,000 houses, single families, there's an incredible demand for affordable housing in the United States. They're not building any new ones. Um, hedge funds are having a really difficult time finding houses in order to renovate. And there's no short, there's no short sales anymore. There's no foreclosures. So some of these hedge funds are building their own rental subdivisions, affordable housing subdivisions. And that's not going to move the needle at all. I mean, they're building 200 of them, 300 of them. We need millions of them and there's just not enough. So there's people always need a place to live. And, you know, as mortgage rates increase and people have difficulty getting loans, People need to rent. They're not going to sleep on the street. And so we need affordable housing. We need houses that can rent for six, seven, eight, nine hundred, a thousand dollars a month. Three bedroom, one bath. There are 900 square feet, thousand square feet, which is exactly what I buy and what my company helps investors get at Morris Invest. So, you know, look, if you're in San Francisco and you're sitting on multi-million dollar property, you, you, you know, you, you, you hit areas where the prices are just out of, out of reach for people. That is an area I'd be concerned of in the housing market. Um, when those prices are just going, going wild. Um, but areas where I see, still see just absolute stability is in the affordable housing space. You know, commercial property is wildly overpriced right now. Um, a lot of multifamily investors have just are sitting on their cash right now waiting. And they're sitting on so much money right now trying to deploy it in certain ways. And they're just, they're going to funds, they're going to larger real estate funds right now uh, because they have so much money because they're not buying these larger multifamily units right now because the, the cash flow is lower. So again, I really see in the United States right now, the Midwest, those stable markets where you have jobs increasing, crime going down, population increasing, jobs available. So outside of you know Indianapolis, Texas, uh, parts of Tennessee, uh, parts of Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan. Those are all areas where I invest and have just consistent cash flow, even during down times. Okay, interesting. So if, if I'm a starter, imagine I'm in the United States and I want to start uh, small, you'll advise them to, to start in these top five areas. Yeah, I mean, what, what we do when we get on the phone, if someone like books a call with us at our company, 
is first to try to understand what their goals are. You know, a lot of people have, whether it's a sell, you know, an IRA or they've got a 401k or they've got some money in the bank, like how can they deploy that properly into an asset that's going to produce, you know, eight, 9% cash net return, not gross return, but you know, net, they maybe are getting 3% in the stock market or 4% in the stock market and they can get into a, an asset that they can depreciate through cost segregation, which is kind of a really advanced term, but you know, going through cost segregation, which means you're just accelerating the depreciation of that asset. We're building a bunch of new construction, affordable housing right now in our Texas market. And so we've got a waiting list for people to buy those. And thanks to Texas Tech going to uh, <laughs> the national championship, the uh, we're seeing just an absolute demand for, for, rent, for rent in those uh, units a waiting list, not only to buy them, but also to rent them. So, you know, I would, you know, start small. I think people sometimes get shiny object syndrome and they start looking at, oh, I got to get right into multifamily. I got to buy a hundred unit apartment complex. No, you don't. I would start with that 900 square foot home, thousand square foot home in an established neighborhood that's been through World War II, you know, or um, <laughs> it's not going anywhere. You know, those brick tree-lined streets that I love. And, you know, you rent it out to a postal worker or nurse at the local hospital. Those jobs aren't going to China and they need a place to live for 900 bucks a month. And, you know, you'll have that asset for the rest of your life. Um, I'd like to talk to you a bit about podcasting. Um, and you've grown your show, Investing in Real Estate, to zero to uh, over 10 million downloads now. And um, I'm kind of curious uh, – about a few things starting out your podcast Clayton um, why did you do it and then what are some of the more important uh, tactics or methods that you use to really help it get to 10 million downloads sure sure and, and you know I think you, you go through these periods where you really try to analyze like okay what worked two years ago is it still working today and things shift yeah. um, I'm sure you guys know that better than anyone um, you know, how, how is the out, you know, iTunes algorithm, is there an iTunes algorithm? You know, where are people downloading all those things you start to analyze? And now there's different players in the space, you know, Google play and Pandora and, you know, whatever else, you know, so there's all these different avenues and Spotify now has podcasts. And so first of all, you've just got to be on all those platforms. You know, that's, that's important. Even if the downloads on those platforms are small, but nevertheless, you just want to be where people are. Um, so when I started it, well, number one, I started it because I'm a, I'm a talker, so I, I can't sit still, and I wanted to be able to, I've been podcasting for like 11 years or so, it's a nerd podcast with one of my close friends for many, many years talking about comic books and pop culture and things, and so it was a natural progression for me to be able to start to produce a podcast about buy and hold real estate investing. Um, you know, keep it very niche. So when I started it, I said, okay, there's a couple of real estate podcasts. They're okay. They're not very good. They're kind of all over the place with topics. But can I niche down and just focus on buy and hold real estate? Just that. I'm going to hold it. I'm not selling it. I'm going to hold it for the rest of my life. And that, that was my niche. And that really worked and took off because there wasn't one focused on that. Uh, and then I also through some mentors who kind of taught me this, I learned that I should be publishing three times a week. Uh, now, I don't know if that's 
still smart and I've been considering dropping <laughs> it to two. I don't know. Um, but right now I publish three times a week and I mix it up. So on Mondays I produce a small episode, like a six or seven minute episode called motivation Monday. And it's just me monologuing, talking about, uh, you know, different topic. Like this past week I did a, an episode on, uh, don't sit, you know, don't, don't sit on the fence. Anytime you sit on the fence, you can never move forward properly. You're always going to have that safety net. So I did that. And then Wednesdays, my wife and I do an episode together on family, real estate finance, you know, how to incorporate your children in the, in the business, how to set up your LLCs properly. So family finance as a part of the real estate investing piece. And then on Thursdays, I do an expert interview with a Ken McElroy or Robert Kiyosaki, a hedge fund manager that holds thousands of properties and smaller investors that have five properties, 10, pro- you know, but somebody who's actually done it, done deals, doesn't have to be Robert Kiyosaki. And so with that publishing schedule, it's very hard, <laughs> but yeah. that, you know, it, it helps. And I also batched a lot of them. I don't know how far in advance you guys produce, but you know, yeah. I would spend a lot of time. I'd shoot, you know, eight episodes in a week um, so that my team can put the show notes together and all of those things. And so I do a lot of batch producing of content as well. How many people do you have? Uh, let me ask you this, actually. When you're doing an interview um, with the professionals, so the Friday shows, I believe you said, um, how many man hours do you think it takes to produce one episode? Yeah, I have my editor who's been with me for about 10 years. Uh, he's very good. Uh, does a lot of podcasts. So, he, you know, he uses logic and he just dives in and he knows my cadence now. So I don't, I don't know how long it probably takes him. Um, I think it's actually been a little harder for him in the past year because what I started doing is taking some of my YouTube content and shooting them simultaneously. So, yeah. you know, I launched the YouTube channel. And after I had already about seven, eight months into having the podcast and I realized, well, why am I doing all this separate content? I should be able to, you know, repurpose it on the podcast. And that's not true of everything. You know, I still do like my motivation Monday episode solely for the, the audio only. Um, so he'll take, if I'm doing a lot of starting as it relates to the YouTube show, he'll have to do a lot more editing than he would do if it was just a straight interview. So I think that's kind of matched time for time. So if it's a 30 minute episode, he's or 10, 15 minute episode, he's going to have to spend that probably double that amount in the editing room. And then I've got my, my podcast manager, you know, who's setting up and making sure things are getting booked properly. Uh, And then I've got my, my content and show notes team and they do an amazing job to take the episode and, you know, focus on some bullet points with it. And, you know, one thing I learned from, I think it was Amy Porterfield and her, she had an interview, I, I think Neil Patel, I believe. And he was talking about Google SEO for show notes. And we used to do really comprehensive, deep show notes. And turns out that Google doesn't care <laughs> for SEO for show notes because most people read them. So he said, if you're doing a podcast, most people put all this time and attention in show notes, keep it to just bullet points and simple and focus more time on actual separate blog content and the separate tabs. So that's what we shifted to do. We used to spend a ton of time just on the show notes. And I'm like, no, we got to stop that. So I think that's cut some some time down now a little bit. 
Yeah, I understand. Clayton, what do you think were some of the the most important? I know you mentioned publishing three times a week, um, so that's consistency. Are there there any other key things uh, podcasters out there could do to really grow their audience? Well, I think you know what's real key is to to give real value to people. Um, so, how can you in every episode bring value to people, and the value just rises to the top? You know, and so if in the episodes your value, and then you also can offer them, you know, a free download for that episode, um, where they can link to it. And guess what? You know, they're added to your email list, and then you nurture that list properly with a sequence that really warms them, teaches them about you. And then when a new episode goes live, like let's say you've got a big interview coming up, they'll hit over the head with them constantly. But you know, then you can email out and say, "Hey, I've got Robert Kiyosaki on the show." this morning, you got to check out this episode and, you know, download numbers increase. So having that sort of targeted approach, I think really matters, but really trying to, if you're just doing it for money and you're just trying to put a show out there just for money, people see through that. And I think you, you know, to every episode you can really think, okay, how can I help somebody today move the needle in their life? Then, and then be smart about how, you know, you, you don't just do that and then set it and forget it and hope that people find it then try to be a guest on other shows, you know? I mean, try to reach out and try to bring value to other people. And here's a tactic and strategy that might work for you, which is, okay, find the top 30 shows in the same niche where you're trying to break in and reach out to their teams and let them know, hey, I just left you a five-star review on iTunes um, and here's a screenshot of it. I'm a big fan of your show. Um, You know, I recently launched a show myself in this niche. I, I think I could bring some value to your audience. And, you know, I don't know if you're looking for guests or not right now, but I'd love to come on and talk about how I've done this. And I think it could help your audience. And that's, you're bringing value to that person in a big way. And yes, and, it, and it works. And that's why I, I responded to your guys' email. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> you, you gave know? us a review with a screenshot. Yeah, it works. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, here's a fan of your show. Here's a five-star review. And we're helping you, you know, get some extra juice in iTunes. And, and hey, if you're, you need a guest, I, I can certainly talk for an hour. Imagine, let's say, we, we will start now, someone who starts now his own, uh, like, a podcast. Is that, would that be a, a good way to, to start in these days with podcasts? Or would you advise to start something else or a mix? Well, I think a mix, you know, it just depends on what, you, what, what your goals are. You know, what do you, I think you start with why, you know, and what do you hope to accomplish? So if you... If you have a small pet store um, in a certain town, you you might be able to totally niche down and, and you live in you know Camden, Maine, right? And you have a small pet store. Well, guess what? You could do a, a podcast that owns that town. And when people want to talk about pets and where to get pet food and you know the best dog brushes and all of that sort of stuff you know, you're going to own that by doing a podcast around that kind of content. You can talk to local owners, you can talk to local veterinarians in your interviews and give them tips and strategies and then cross purpose that with YouTube. You know, people forget, I think that YouTube is the second largest search engine behind Google. And so, and Google gives favorability to their own stuff. And so someone does a search for, you know, setting up a self-directed IRA well, I wanted to own that space. Yeah, yeah. 
And I wanted to be able to educate people on how to set up a self-directed IRA. And then guess who they will probably work with after they've set up their self-directed IRA to buy their first rental property. Hopefully they'll work with us. And if not, okay, then they do it on their own, but that's fine. But that's what our team does. And I'll produce like five, six, seven videos around that same topic. I mean, if you, you know, you have an, if you have a passion about something, whether it's riding bikes, right? You could take that topic. You could think of 50 videos right now or 50 top podcast uh, episodes right now and write them all down. And that's all Google juice for you and your company and your, and your, your website, uh, changing tires, how to prepare your bike for winter, how to, you know, best trails in, in France, uh, on and on and on the list would go best helmets for, you know, for bald guys. You know, I mean, it, there's just so, there's just so much there. Yes, that is true. So like niche down. Right. Niche down. And, you know, it's gotta be something you're passionate about. So if you can talk about it, you, 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 you know, something you got, you have to be able to sustain uh, because look, you're going to be getting behind a microphone. If you're not passionate about it, you're just doing it for money. It's going to fizzle out real quick. And, and like, do you, do you have a, do you advise people who are going in the States to have a system, a specific system where they start with X and then they go to Y and they go, um, just to give you an example, let's say if, if you want to become a great salesperson, well, what we've learned in one of the podcasts is, you, you, you nail down one vertical. You become the guru in that vertical. Once you have like mm, the guru-ness in that vertical, you go to the next vertical. Is that how you also do it on, uh, with, with podcasts and YouTube? You start it with one and then you go to the next? No, that's a great question. I, you know, for some people, writing, writing is what they love. And they don't like talking. Um, Some people really can't stand the thought of doing video. They just don't want to do it. Scares them to death. Well, my suggestion would be, you know, try it, number one. Try it for a little while, number two. If it doesn't stick, then okay. But I think scattering yourself too widely can be a huge problem. And that's what most people do when they first, you know, start a business. They're, they, they get so excited. They go out and get their business cards. And I don't even have business cards. You know, they waste their money on, on all this stuff that's not going to return. You know, there's not, there's not really going to be a, a, an ROI. Um, so YouTube, to me, is number one. I absolutely think you have to be there. And if, look, you don't want to be on camera, there are other things you can do, right? There might be someone in your office that wants to be on camera. And you might be able to pull them in to kind of be the face voice of your YouTube channel for your company and your message, or you can have someone create cartoons and doodles for your YouTube content. You don't have to be on camera. Um, and I think podcasting is huge, absolutely huge because it's so personal because someone's choosing to download your show and they're choosing to put it in their ear at their given time on their drive to work. I mean, it's on demand, it's personal. And I don't think there's anything better to be honest with you. Uh, and then, you know, your social media stuff you can scatter around and play with and, you know, Instagram. I, I just, I think you're, I'm starting to see like diminishing returns, but I would also just really think about how you, can you take that same content and repurpose it? So 
how can you take that YouTube video that you shot, have your editor or whomever in your office cut it down so that it that eight minute or that seven minute clip can get published on Instagram as an Instagram story uh, or a, an IGTV and a clip there. That doesn't mean you have to shoot it twice. You shot it once already for YouTube. Just have it cut differently for Instagram. And then how can I take that same audio and repurpose that for a podcast with a nice intro and nice outro? And now you've got one piece of content spread three ways. How can that then get published over to Facebook if you want to publish it on Facebook as a native video? Uh, and to LinkedIn, that one piece of video can travel far for you. Uh, and it can also be highly promoted to your email list. Uh, so I just think people need to work smarter, not harder. Yeah, I completely agree. To kind of wind things down here, Clayton, uh, I want to ask you, you know, we've we've been doing this series um, talking to influencers from all over the world. And I find it interesting that you spent quite a few years in the news industry and then realized that you could impact people and help people and have a greater influence um, with the the, peop- the the work that you love to do by stepping away from that high paying job and, and, um, and with one of the biggest networks in the world and start to do your own thing on the internet, you know? And so I'm curious, you know, what, what were some of the things that really, uh, helped you make that decision? And then how do you handle that in a responsible manner today? Well, I think, you know, being authentic is really important. And, I was helping a lot of people organically build, you know, friends and neighbors and, and extended family and, and so forth, build wealth and sitting around the dinner table, talking to them, you know, they'd ask, well, how can I get my first rental property and would help them leverage their 401k the right way so they don't get penalties and all this stuff, you know? Um, and, and so it just kind of grew from there organically. And it, it was in an effort to try to help people. Years ago, I tried all the get rich quick stuff and how could I make money and all this, and it never worked. It never worked until I built my freedom number cheat sheet. Until I started saying, Wait a second, somebody could download this and totally change their life. And I shifted and started focusing on helping and serving others. Um, So every time I do something, my goal is to, okay, yes, as an entrepreneur, you want to make money, but does it serve and help other people? Can they? improve their life in some measurable way if I produce this piece of content. Even if they, they, they listen for an hour and they only do one piece of it, you know, if they listen to this show for an hour and they only decide, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to look into this idea of investing in the Midwest, that one little push, that's all it takes sometimes. So if, if everything I try to do is around it to be of service, to be of service in my business. Uh, and if, if you do that, I think you're on the right path. If you're just focused on money, you know, it's just going to, you might make money for a little while, but it's going to fizzle out. It it just will. I've just seen it too often. Yeah. Okay, my friend, I think we're going to wrap up the show there. Clayton, um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing all your tips and tricks and wisdom with us. We really appreciate it. If the listeners want to reach out and learn more about what you have going on, where's the best place they can do that at? Yeah, best thing, I think, if they want to download our podcast, they're interested in that. It's just the Investing in Real Estate podcast. If you like audio, I'm sure you do because you're listening. That's the best thing. Or or feel free to reach out on our website. Just go to my website. is Morris, my last name, morrisinvest.com. 
blogspot.com. We've got a ton of blog resources there. You can read through articles to help you build wealth and pay down debt, and utilize all that stuff for all free. So go check it out. Excellent. Very cool. Again, Clayton, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, we appreciate your time and all all the valuable information that you have shared with us. And uh, listeners, we want to thank you guys for tuning in once again, and we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high-performance productivity coaching and our five, six, seven, and eight-figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.